Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday the 20th of August and joining me on this edition are Steve Withers. He just popped in for a quick bite. Ed Selly. Stole the plans for this car two years ago. And Mark Burright. Very important to have a positive mental attitude. We're having the bank holiday off. I just thought I'd get that out of the way straight away. So there is no podcast next week, people. You're going to have to do without us. I know that that, that is a, an issue and we will post... Um, some phone numbers for help and advice at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Why not delve into our back catalogue? Yeah, I God. mean, you know, just just relive our golden moments. Yeah, why not go? Incomprehension, why? general insanity. Or you could listen to the professional version from two thousand and six. No. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. yeah we were on the fuel station. It's possible. It's possible to to, to watch our decline. <laughs> <laughs> it is. If you go back in two thousand and six and then dip in about two thousand and eight, then dip in it. I don't know. Twenty twelve. <laughs> Two-year intervals. I mean, I, I think from the moment I turned up, things went south pretty quickly. So, you know, <laughs> so like you... A, a, a catalyst. I can't believe it used to be just me and Phil for, for a couple of years, which must have been really boring. Yeah. You ended one month, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, that was true. We ended one a month. Yeah. We'll, have to, we'll have to do a book and that'll be the whatever years, you know, when you get the band and the band are successful at the start and then it, you'd have that dip and then they have their little revival at the end. Although we're, we haven't hit that little revival at the end yet. We're still in the we're, dip. We're doing our, <laughs> our big we're, in Japan tour. <laughs> <laughs> Steve's, Steve's itching that we move on to smell the glove, presumably. But um. <laughs> uh, So what have you been up to this week, Mark? Have you got this paint job finished yet? No, the weather hasn't oh, been nice geez. enough. <laughs> No, it's yeah. It you know what I've I very boringly spent probably the past week having a bit of a clear up because it's it's got that feel now of autumn's coming. You know, the summer's <laughs> not gonna summer's not coming back now. So it, you know, have a proper clear up. Get rid of everything that you didn't wear during the summer. That's my view. I don't know. There's generally a pickup in the weather when they send the kids back to school. But in the summer. <laughs> yeah, it's just generally what happens. Because it's not right unless you're locked back into a classroom where it's swelteringly hot. So, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes from there. But, yeah, I do agree with you. It felt distinctly autumnal uh, a couple of days ago here, uh, which is exciting because, obviously, all of the heating in the granny annex is on sort of electric storage heaters, and I'm sure it'll cost me about a pound a minute to heat it. But, you know, and, they, yeah. and they won't work. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Am I the only one that that? Yeah, I love. I like summer. I enjoy the 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 light nights and getting out and all the rest of it. But I also enjoy autumn nights where the dark nights are coming in, and it gives you an excuse to sit and watch films. If your and, hobby is watching films in a dark room, it's a lot easier to justify it in the winter than it is in the summer. <laughs> I tell you what, I've noticed though. If you got you got a sleep watch, haven't you, Phil? Yeah. My. My hours, my if I looked at the monthly average of actual decent hours of sleep that I get, and there's a noticeable drop in the summer months because of the fact it's light early, gets dark late, yeah, and it's, it's hot, stuffy. Is, is it not a case though you're getting old as well, Steve? So you've got to make the most of every day. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying that in the winter because you know it's darker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you, you sleep mean. Sleep better. I just sleep better. Yeah, well, it's yeah, quite I a think... noticeable drop. An hour difference in terms of quality sleep because of. Um, uh, atmospheric conditions, I suppose. But I, I think it's it's also um, you know from our past as a species that that we did sleep more in the winter. Um, we were more hibernating and we'd store up fat and stuff like that. Well, that's my excuse anyway. Well, I think generally it was bad to go out in the dark because something would eat you. <laughs> so best yeah. to wait till the sun comes up. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is an element of that, this, isn't there? This this sounds like a scientific discussion from 
<laughs> Four blokes who know nothing about what they're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> Human evolution. I know sod all, uh, is really. That, is that not the podcast every week, Mark? <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair. Very occasionally, just by accident, we sort of drift into an area we actually know something about. I don't see why ignorance <laughs> should hold us back. It doesn't seem to be a problem for anyone else. You know. Yeah, isn't that kind of almost champion these days, isn't it? No one wants yes, to know about yes. what experts think. We want to know what the man in the street thinks. I don't care what the man in the street thinks. I want to know what the expert thinks. <laughs> Someone has taken this approach and is now now leading yeah. the most powerful country on yeah. earth. Yeah. So, the man in the streets, an idiot, has been has been proved admirably over the last few years. <laughs> it's not, it's actually. I always think it's more nuanced than that. If you meet an individual, even if you have pretty much diametrically opposed views, if it's if it's a one on one conversation, there's an element of civility to it. Yeah. When you actually then have large groups of people with diametrically opposing views, it begins to disintegrate pretty quickly. <laughs> then when you remove the face-to-face element and stick them both on the internet, <laughs> that's it. I mean, if you like, that's that's that that you can chart the decline the decline of civilization to that point when it was no longer that when you no longer ran the risk of being instantly punched in the face for saying something truly objectionable, it's become just a a sprint to the bottom. And on that happy note... (laughs) (laughs) So, Mark, you were saying... (laughs) No, I I just like the tagline, the man in the street is an idiot. (laughs) Just stick with that. Yeah, I don't see that being very popular when it comes to PR. Ed, what have you been up to? Uh, I've been listening to stuff... um, I actually I got a new washing machine. It was great. There was one of the few upsides to renting a place I'd forgotten about. The washing machine let go spectacularly a couple of days ago. Oh, water all over the floor. Bring up the landlord. I was like, oh, God, I need to get that. And I don't need to get this sorted at all. There's someone that will sort it for us. And yeah, absolutely. I've got a shiny new Becco washing machine. It's lovely. Are we on to your white goods reviews now? (laughs) Uh, Do you know, if someone wants me to review it, I will. Uh, I have to say, uh, we had a Becco review. uh, washing machine in the old house. I I personally think Becco's on a massive charm offensive. They're putting the legwork in across all of their stuff. Footballing metaphors here, perhaps. Um, and you get really you get great bang for your buck out of a Becco product. Has, thoroughly, it, has thoroughly, it got a good good short wash? Uh, yes, uh, thirty degrees, uh, twenty three minutes. Uh, I yeah, don't think thirty degrees is warm enough for me. Perf- uh, I say a forty. <laughs> No, I don't think it gets clothes clean. Sorry, just don't. 40 degrees is 38 minutes, and it's got a 1,400 RPM spin, so it comes out at the end of it pretty much ready to hang up. Uh, see, I, I want something a, a short sports wash, something in 15 minutes, something like that. Uh, now, you see the machine that we had at my old house? That had a that had a sub-20-minute wash. But the problem is it scrimped on the spin, so it washed it in that length of time, but it came out sopping wet. I went to South Korea a number of years ago and I was showing a washing machine that I was promised was coming to market that washed your clothes without water. Yeah, did they discover that concept didn't work, <laughs> do you reckon? <laughs> so using anti- antifreeze. We, do we need water? <laughs> I've, I've never seen it on the market yet, so let's just say it's probably still in development. I've, I've always had a theory that dry cleaners don't actually do anything to clean your clothes. They just, they just press them and spray them with smell and then give them back to you. Because I've never said any, anything come back from the dry cleaners with stains that have actually been removed by them. It's like, you, you lot I useless. think that's more a reflection of the stains that create are just more pernicious. <laughs> yeah. Than most people, so. yeah, red wine and vomit doesn't come out easily. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's a dark Daz doorstep challenge. <laughs> yeah, throw in some blood and we're, we're really going... <laughs> Actually, shameless plug there. If you um, it's on, if you've got the Kindle Unlimited deal, 
the Sniff Petrol, Roy Lanchester, How to Be a Motoring Journalist book is included in that deal. And that's just genius. I love so, Lanchester. He's brilliant. So funny. He's, he's, he's the type of creation... He's, a, he's, he's even further removed than Alan Partridge. But he's so far removed. If you're actually... I think we get it more because we've been on these press trips... Well, you're saying so far removed, um, isn't it? The reason it's funny is because we know people. Exactly I, I know, like I know, that. I know. Well, this, this is what I'm saying. It's so far removed in terms of. I, I think the public might not get, it, but if you if you've ever been to a press event of any kind whatsoever, or ever dealt with PR people or, or anything like that, it is just pure genius. Well, there's old, old school journalists. Are fantastic. My favourite quote from the whole book. I've got it here. In my experience, deadlines are all made up anyway, apart from the ones on daily newspapers, which are very real, as is the warning note on your personnel file if you keep ignoring them. In other <laughs> words, deadlines are like the best before dates on food. They can be ignored, but to do so may cause you to shit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, when, I'm, when I buy my next house, I'm having that in poster size on my wall. <laughs> You know, none of this inspirational, you know, love, li- live, laugh bollocks. I'm having one of that as my, well, that, that will be my, my, my rider quote on the wall because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this week, I, boringly, I've done lots of work this week. So I, I've not got much to talk about, really. So, yeah, kind of boring at this end. Just And I still can't get in my cinema room, which is a problem because I've got a 4K projector <laughs> review at the minute and I've still got the, the floors just still full of no, heaps and boxes. What, what, and, on, I thought you said you've been lots of work. What, what have you been doing then if you haven't been reviewing the projector you're meant to be reviewing? Well, that's because the, the that room is full of TVs that I am reviewing <laughs> at the minute. You mean, you, I mean, what you mean is you can't get to the projector to review it. That, that's, that's what I mean, yeah, because I've got boxes lying everywhere, TVs lying everywhere, um, TVs in boxes, TVs out of boxes. The living room's great because that's the room I'm working in, so I've just bring one TV in at a time or two at a time if I'm doing side-by-sides. But yes, um, it's causing a bit of an issue Worst now. comes to worst, yeah, you could do a little review of whether TV boxes make a decent cinema screen. <laughs> or, or furniture. Yeah. How comfortable are you to sit on? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. Carrie's showroom's got sorry, not the showroom, the storeroom has got nothing on my place at the minute. Well, they've got more space, I suspect. Well, yeah, they probably have got that on me. Probably a big help. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to ask whether you were even slightly tempted to build a fort out of the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> no, not yet. I did build a way a maze to the. Uh, because in that room I've got a concrete block where I have my uh, scales, so the scales are accurate. So I actually built a maze out of the boxes to to get to the get to the scales. Do you play the Krypton Factor music when you go through it? In my head. Well, yeah, I'm not expecting you to have rigged up a son off. Alexa, play the Krypton Factor music. Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh, oh shit! Oh. She's heard me. Hang on. Alexa, stop. Gosh, you can hear really well. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, in another, I'm in another room. I'm in the yeah. cinema. She's it, in the lounge. She's listened to every everything I've said. Yeah, and I said some bad things. <laughs> what you been up to, Steve? Uh, not much actually. No, I've just been trying to get stuff finished because I'm away next week and uh, I'm going to Bovington next Monday. Oh yes, you said you, it, it, it's tanktastic. Tanktastic day, yes. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I've done much really. Um, went to oh well, I went to the cinema. Obviously, we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, that was it really. That was a pretty boring week. So uh, you're going to the Tank Museum anywhere else? Nice that you're going when you're away on holiday? Mm, not at the moment, no. 
Yeah, Steve. So it, it sounds like uh, one of these holidays where you've you've planned out the first day, but the rest of the week's going to be spent in whatever place you're at because the the two of you kind of decide what you're going to do all day, and and it'll turn into an argument. And I'll be right. Okay, well, we'll just stay here then. That's the plan, and then I'll just go in, in the home cinema watching films. <laughs> Have a busman's holiday as usual. <laughs> Got it so all planned more, out. More planned than he gave credit for. Yeah, no, no, I, I know how he thinks because I'd be the same. I'd say, yeah, have a week off. I'm gonna spend it watching most of the films. But if I had a partner, I'd probably say, I'd probably just do the one sort of day out. But it'd be a day out where it's something I want to do. <laughs> yeah, Bovington. Bobbing, she doesn't want to go to the tank museum. Uh, I'm not going with my wife. I'm going with some friends. But <laughs> oh well, even yeah, you'll just have to buy lots of prosecco. That's all right. Or Carver. I'd like a nice drop of Carver. Okay, so that's us all cut up. Uh, Steve, any competitions this week? Uh, There's one running at the moment. You can win a copy of Sex, Lies and Videotape, which was Steven Soderbergh's first film, on Blu-ray. That's a Criterion Edition collection, so it should look and sound fantastic and obviously lots of great extras. And that competition runs until Sunday, the uh, 26th of August. Okay, excellent. And it's nice to see Criterion still in the marketplace. Uh, fantastic label um, who came to prominence yeah. in, in the Laserdisc age, basically. That's where they it started. Did. So it's nice to see them still going with a collector's edition. So worthy prize there. Any previous winners, Steve? Uh, yes, actually, I think we've got a couple here. Adam David, he won Flesh and Blood on Blu-ray, which is Paul Verhoeven's first English language film. And I watched it last week, actually. Looks pretty good and... Um, is an interesting film, certainly not one for the squeamish. Also, uh, Bryn Tegg. Bryn Tegg won A Quiet Place on 4K Blu-ray, so great prize there. Really, really good uh, disc. Got fantastic soundtrack. And I think we also got Empty Cup. He or she won The Death of Superman on Blu-ray. Okay, that's us all copper up and competition's done. So we'll be back in a sec with Hardware News. Right, uh, hardware time. Um, let's go to Steve first, because Steve's been looking at an interesting product from Sonus. Now, Sonus have, have really carved out a market for themselves over the last sort of, 10 years, but they haven't really done much in terms of soundbar, Steve. They've, they've, they've had I they've think, got one, one, right? Yeah. Uh, the Play, play Bar, um, yeah. which uh, isn't cheap. I think it's 699 uh, and... Um, doesn't include any HDMI inputs or outputs, so it's a fairly, you know, it's it's a limited soundbar in that sense. Clearly, it, it evolved out of their existing uh, business, which obviously is multi-room. I mean, that's what they're synonymous with. Sonos is multi-room, and this was a soundbar designed to in- integrate with their multi-room system. But I don't think it necessarily would be considered uh, ideal for the AV enthusiast. Particularly, you at least need one one HDMI uh, output with ARC. I think that's a, a key. I think most soundbar should have at least that and if they don't then you're reduced to having to use optical um digital and you lose things like cec so uh this new new soundbar that they've announced and launched is the sonos beam which has obviously been they've obviously taken feedback on board from the um play bar and and, and the beam uh, kind of incorporates some of these factors so first of all it's a much uh, smaller form factor than the play bar which was relatively large this is quite a compact soundbar um, obviously, that means it fits in nicely into smaller lounges. It works better with smaller screen sizes as well. Um, but even though it's, it's relatively small, uh, it does 
pan, produce a pretty big soundstage for something as small as that because as the name might suggest they're obviously they, they've got a multitude of um, speakers uh, built into the soundbar beaming in, in to, the, to the sides and out to the front so they give it a nice wide big front soundstage crucially it also has an HDMI output so um, you can connect it to the TV and then you have access to ARC uh, and things like CEC as well you, know, you can control it from from um, from another um, you control the TV at the same time as the soundbar and uh, I've got to say, uh, it does. One thing that's interesting, they dropped. They used to have an optical digital input that's been dropped now. What you get is a little adapter that comes with it, so you can plug your optical cable into the adapter, then into the HDMI input. So uh, interesting, they've gone like completely the other direction now and dropped the optical digital input and gone just for HDMI. Otherwise, it's um, there's a LAN port, built-in Wi-Fi, of course, and USB port, and um, uh, yeah, it's it's. One thing I'll say, when you when you set it up, you can immediately uh, appreciate uh, Sonos's experience and years of experience in the area of uh, multi-room and app control. Because it doesn't come with a remote control. It's all controlled from the from the Sonos app. And it is amazing. It's really slick. Setup is incredibly easy. It's really intuitive to use. It's got most of the things you would want integrated into it or anything like Spotify. Plus, it also integrates... Uh, various skills, so, so Alexa skills. So, shouldn't say that too loudly, she might hear me. Um, Alexa skills. Uh, so, you can control it from your uh, from Alexa. You can also you can control it from Google Assistant, although I don't have Google Assistant to test, but I did have Alexa, which worked fine. Uh, so, you, you immediately get the feeling that, yeah, that this is a, a product that's at least paying lip service to the more AV end of the market, but also still includes all of the uh, the benefits that you'd expect from a Sonos product, which is which is ease of setup, really easy, intuitive use, uh, beautifully integrated system. Obviously, if you've got more Sonos products, it, you know it, it all fits into a nice uh, multi-room system. I, I don't have any more. I just had the one product in for review, but you know you get that feeling that that this this is a very slick product. But but importantly, it also sounds really good. It sounds way bigger than it looks, which I think you know is is a key to these smaller compact soundbars. You don't want them to sound like small boxes. You want them to sound big and open because, um, you know, even if the TV isn't that large, you're still talking about the front of the room. So you want something that can, that can spread across that front soundstage. Um, and it's got some bass to it too. Um, obviously, it doesn't have a, a separate subwoofer, so it doesn't have the kind of deep bass you'd get from any soundbar that has its own sub. But it still sounds pretty bassy for something of that size. And I've got to say, overall, I was genuinely impressed with it. Uh, it's the first Sonos product I've actually reviewed uh, personally. And um, I think I don't think I've done any others. I think Ed did the, uh, you did the, the other yeah, stuff. I've done one or two. Yeah. Um, so I, I was interested to see how I'd feel about Sonos, and I've got to say I, I really was really impressed. It was well made, intelligently designed, in, easy to set up, intuitive to use, and it sounds great. So overall, I was impressed. And I think it's three hundred ninety nine quid, so it's a lot cheaper than the previous incarnation. So it's it's smaller. So do you think they've they've actually discovered that the uh, average screen size in the UK isn't 50 inches and above. I think they may have realised that, yes, because the sound, the play bar, sorry, the play bar is pretty wide and clearly was designed for much larger screen sizes. And although large screen sizes are increasing in terms of sales, I think the average screen size in the UK is still around 42 inches, isn't it? That's the average screen size. Yeah. So uh, this, this sound bar clearly been designed for something of that size rather than 50, 55, 65 inch screen sizes, which uh, are still relative, not, not are increasing in commonality, but are still uh, reasonably uh, rare in, in the average household. So, yeah. But I, th I think for what it's for what it's designed to do, I think it it, it works. But it also has got a great feature. Um, when you're setting it up, you use the app on the phone and you basically walk around the room. It takes measurements and does all that stuff for you. So the setup is really easy and intuitive, 
and works really well. Uh, and the results are great. So, yeah, very impressed. Very impressed with the Sonos. Problem with Sonos for me, anyway, has been it's never felt incredibly good value for money, Steve. Um, so, what do you think of this one? Three nine nine. I, you know, that's that's at the higher end of the. I mean, obviously, I'd say what two hundred quid is kind of the sub two hundred. You're talking about very cheap soundbars that tend to be, you know, have no HDMI, for example, won't have a sub, won't have a a, um, a subwoofer, that kind of thing. When you get to four hundred quid, generally, you tend to find there's more soundbars with a separate sub, and that w- is is something I think for the home theatre enthusiast, a separate sub really does add to the experience, doesn't it? Because you, once you've got that deep bass. Um, it makes movies in particular, particularly modern film soundtracks, where, the, where bass is an integral part of the sound design. Um, it makes them more enjoyable. And there is a certain, um, when you, when, once you go to a single unit soundbar with no separate sub, uh, you do have to sacrifice some, some low frequency energy because, you know, let's be honest, you, you just can't deliver it from a, from a soundbar. Um, some soundbars can sound quite bassy. I've heard a few in, the, in my time that have surprised in that area. But overall, I think if you want that deep bass, then you're going to need to get a separate sub. Obviously, if you buy the, the um, uh, the beam, you can add a subwoofer. There is a wireless sub available to buy. Also, you can add rear speakers. You can turn it into a 5.1 system. Um, it does, of course, <laughs> increase the cost quite considerably. And then you start looking at, you know, once you get into higher price points, there are a lot of options available. Um, and they've got things like Atmos as well or DTSX support, which you're not going to find on this. Um, so, is it, it yes, I, I still think even though it's cheaper than the Play Bar, uh, considerably cheaper, um, it's still a little bit pricey and and um, you are in a very competitive part of the marketplace there where you're going to find products that might have a separate subwoofer and that would maybe swing it for me. If As a movie buff, a movie fan, um, I, I think uh, I like to have a separate sub. It almost seems like a kind of entry point for kind of Sonos products, you know, um, with the multi-room aspect you know they're, they're, it seems very much built on the idea of you can add speakers later on you can add extra things you know and so you know get into the experience of using their products and that kind of thing and if you like yeah, them then it's a gateway tend product to a way, really... it's a gateway product the idea i think is you buy the soundbar or either you buy the soundbar and then build on top of that as you realize how intuitive and good and easy to use and effective the whole system is or alternatively you've got a couple of you know, um, play ones or play fires or whatever, knocking around the house, and then you, you, you think, oh, I'll add to this and I'll get the soundbar because I can also integrate it into the system. So I think it's primarily aimed at Sonos fans initially, anyway. But uh, it does perhaps act as a gateway product to those who maybe aren't familiar with Sonos products, and then think, oh, you know what, this is, uh, this works well. And it, and I think it is a little bit. Um, it sounds great with music too. So I think the musical aspect of it and the multi-room aspect of it is is quite important to, to Sonos. But I think the fact they've at least added an HDMI input or output rather is uh, at least shows that they're listening to feedback and realizing that they want a competitive soundbar. Um, then they need to think about things like that. Um, and you're right, Mark. You can. There is the option if you want to then build on that um, later and create maybe a 5.1 system if you wanted to. So uh, I guess it, it 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 fits into their whole philosophy, which is you know. Um, Buying things in in, in in segmented sort of you know buying up one product and adding to it and then gradually adding to it and, and slowly building up a system throughout the entire house. So yeah, you're right that that I think that's probably part of their philosophy. Okay, there we go. So uh, that's a Sonos Beam. The review will be up um, probably towards the end of the week that you're listening to this podcast. Um, for me, like I said, I've been uh, looking at a lot of uh, TVs recently. I've, I'm currently looking at a Samsung, and the review for that will be up probably the week following this podcast or at the end of the week. 
that you listen to the podcast. In the meantime, uh, I have reviewed a Cello 50-inch LCD TV. Now, this is a budget TV. The review is up there, so I'm not going to go into it in any great detail because you can go and read the, the, the review. The problem with this end of the market is that it's getting incredibly, incredibly tight when it comes to um, what you actually get for your money. And we're seeing the Chinese companies coming into this marketplace as well. So the likes of Hisense and TCL have now launched a couple of TVs at this price point. Now, Cello are a British manufacturer, and uh, which should be applauded. There's, there's not many British uh, companies these days, uh, certainly in the AV world. So it's good to see a company. And they actually came to us and said, would you like to have a look at the product? Um, because they want to see what the AV forums think and the, and the AV forums audience think. Now, it's not normally a product that I think the AV forums audience would go to for their first uh, or their main TV um, in the living room. It's more at this kind of price point, something that people would maybe pick up for the the bedroom or the kitchen or, or whatever as a secondary or maybe even a third TV or one for the kids' bedrooms or whatever. But we said, yeah, we'll have a look at it, uh, and we did. And um, it's one of these products that is obviously built for a certain sector of the market, and um, picture quality is not higher up on the list of priorities, it would seem, because the problem is, and I think it's it's perhaps a misunderstanding um, of how Gamma works, Steve, because if you look at the graphs and you proof the review, mm. they've gone for a linear Gamma. Now, that's great if you are trying to map um uh, I was I'm going to keep it nice and simple I won't go into you know the uh, the actual codes <laughs> we are going down a very complicated we hole are, there. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to keep it nice and simple but basically if you if it you want linear gamma if you're uh watching 4K HDR because it basically tone maps the EOTF is basically a linear gamma and what we mean by that is it's normally a straight line from from 0 to 100 the the problem that you have is that all TV content, all films, everything um, up until very recently has always been mastered with a, a gamma curve, and that comes from the days of CRT. And it's without getting overly technical. Even, even further back, that it comes from the days of vacuum tube. It does monitors actually, and TVs yeah, yeah. and cameras. Yeah. So you know, it's always been there this gamma curve, and and it's been a case of since we we moved into the digital realm, you could do linear gamma, but everything yeah. is still mastered. Um, with a gamma curve. So it, it's either a misunderstanding on Cello's part with the engineers, because I've seen this on some budget TVs, uh, like the, the Electric, before it got its update, the OLED, it had a linear gamma as well. Now, the problem with that is that if the content has has been mastered with a gamma curve and you then go with a linear gamma, what happens is as soon as the picture gets bright, it just clips all detail. So if you're mm -hmm. wearing a white shirt um, and it's a bright brightish scene, um, there's no detail in the white shirt. It just becomes a white shape um, around a person. It looks like everybody has Botox or been <laughs> using Botox because you've got no facial lines or shadows under the eyes or, or under the nose, nostril area, that kind of thing. So it suddenly looks like everybody's got plasticine faces because you're taking that detail away. Um, and this was the major issue with the TV. Um, and, and I, I go into it in great detail in, in the review. And also there's lots of feedback there because if it... You know, we understand the market position of these TVs and, and everything else, but we, we're also of the mindset that we want to push manufacturers to make the best possible products they can, even if it is at a 400 or 500 pound price point. And it can be done with economies of scale because that's where Hisense come in. If you look at a Hisense TV that's 80 pounds more expensive, 
it's in a different league because the build mm-hmm. quality is made of metal. Uh, it's got a nicer design. It's got a nicer smart TV interface. Um, and they understand picture quality and it's got a picture yep. that gets really quite accurate. And Steve, you were looking at a... Um, I think you're going to do a review for us of it, of it as well, the, a Hisense that was under £500. Um, yes. Um, it was. It, I don't want to go into too much detail at the moment, um, but it was a, a new Hisense that's coming out. It, uh, a, it was 50-inch, 499 price point, out of the box accuracy, all the errors were less than two, <laughs> which is yeah. amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so getting back to the cello review, um, it might be a four out of ten, but actually, if they were to take some of the things that we found there, spruce it up a little bit, add a gamma curve in, add some picture settings in there that are more in line with what we would be looking at, and all we say is that one preset within a TV must try and be accurate because content is mastered to standards. I know we keep banging on about this, director's intent and all the rest of it. It's not just director's intent. These are the standards that the whole industry work to. Um, it says what red should look like. It says what green should look like. It says what color white is. Um, and as long as one preset within a TV does that, then we're happy bunnies. You know, If it can mm. get accurate accuracy. And I think if, if Cello were to add in a gamma curve, immediately... Can that they would, do that buyer update? They, that they sh- their engineers should be able to do that. Not a problem. It, it, it's how the TVs are set up. It just means it's probably in the service menu, although I couldn't get access to the service menu. It's probably in there. Because even though these things are, are perhaps put together in the UK, I have no doubt that they come from one source um, in Europe, uh, which is one of the big, big companies that, that basically uh, you order parts off the shelf from them. And that's, that's a big company called Vestal. I think a lot of people will, will have heard of Vestal. My suspicion is that it's just parts ordered from Vestal and then the, uh, put together in actually about 15 miles, 20 miles down the road from me in, in Bishop Auckland. Um, so it's a British company. We'd like to see them do well. We'd like to see uh, them improve the product. And I think it's, it's completely capable of them to do that and to add a gamma curve in. And if they would do that, it would go from a 4 out of 10 to probably a, a 6 if they managed to get the gamma tracking right. Because funnily enough, colour-wise, it was almost there. It was just the case of because the gamma was, was skewed with and the white balance was off, um, if they were correct those two points, I think everything would fall into place pretty nicely, to be honest. And and it wouldn't have that, that bad a, a, an image, to be honest, because video processing was about average for that price point. There was no nasties in there or anything else. And it managed uh, 4K material. It wasn't HDR. And it doesn't pretend to be HDR, but it would handle 4K. At least they were honest in that respect. Then. Yes, absolutely. And watching 4K discs and so on. Yeah, there was the gamma problem there, but I think if they solved that for the money, I think it would be perfectly reasonable TV. Certainly for AV Forums members as a second, third or even fourth TV, um, it would be perfectly reasonable to shove it in the kitchen or, or whatever because you get fairly decent image quality. So if you read the review, hopefully you don't read the review um, as, as me giving this TV a bit of a kicking because that's not the intention at all. Like we say, we always try to push product and push manufacturers to make the best product they possibly can. And at AV Forums, we're pretty strict when it comes to picture quality. But at the same time, we understand the market point. We understand what this company's trying to do. And um, hopefully, with the feedback they've had from us, uh, if, if they implement some of that and then maybe send the TV back, we'll have a second look at it. We're always up for doing things like that to get the better product. So there you go. If you want to read the full review, it's on the website. Right. We're entering the twilight zone now. <laughs> so, so Ed yeah. has been reviewing a product that Ed shouldn't be reviewing. Tell us more. <laughs> shouldn't be allowed anywhere near. Well, <laughs> uh, all right. All right. I was contacted by 
an organization and they asked, would you like to review a mobile phone? And because I'm not a complete idiot, I turned around and said, well, I've never reviewed one of those before. What is the specific interest to me having a look at it? And they go, well, it's an MQA compatible mobile phone. Really? Okay. So, yes, I have read the dummy's guide to reviewing mobile telephones and sat down and reviewed a mobile phone called the essential ph1 and um the review will be going up you can judge how i've got on with such a thing but it's a pretty interesting piece of kit and um i'm choosing my words i have to be you know uh, i'm aware that two of the four members of this podcast are, would need to be surgically separated from iPhones. I don't know what you use, Mr. Botwright. Uh, I'm I'm Android purely for um, expandable memory and that kind of thing. Okay, well, in that case, I'm going to have a bit of a tough sell here because uh, it's an Android phone, so that's Phil and Steve out, uh, and it doesn't have expandable memory, so that's Mark out. However, it does have 128 gigs on board, so there's a reasonable, oh, amount, of memory right. to, a reasonable amount of memory to get cracking on with. Um, but most interestingly, this is from uh, Essential is the brainchild of a guy called Dave Rubin, who was heavily involved in the Android project to start with. And this is effectively very, very close to things like Google Pixel in so much as it's Android with nobody else's tat smeared across the top of it. Um, now, this means if you went, if you put an iPhone down, you pick this up, actually, you'd find it pretty much a completely self-explanatory experience. Um, and because of that, because it's a completely clear Android, it went straight to the Android 9 beta um, uh, when that was announced about a week and a half ago. So it's absolutely on the cutting edge of that. Uh, um, because it's also on the absolute cutting edge of things, it has no headphone socket. And I was all set to find that a bit of a pain in the proverbial. But two things. The first is it comes with a decent adapter for attaching a conventional pair of headphones. Uh, so I was playing about with that, and that was, was, was pretty impressive. Where things got really interesting is when you start using it with an external back um, out the bottom of it and using that MQA compatibility to unpack on the phone and send a signal to, to other products. This is, by a comfortable margin under those conditions, if you are a Tidal user, there is no mobile, uh, there's no rival in terms of using Tidal on the move, which gets anywhere near this thing. It, it truly is an extraordinary sounding device if you are interested in bolting ancillaries onto it. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that I've been using it with the AKG N5005 uh, earphones, which can be used as uh, Aptex Bluetooth. And I've got to be honest, this is not the uh, purest in me talking. But having done that, I don't think I'm going back to wired earphones on the move ever again, if I'm completely honest, because it's so much more convenient to not be tethered to your own pocket mm. uh, that I'm, uh, yeah, I'm uh, probably going to stick with that. And then on a phone sense, because I'm sure that at least one person <laughs> listening to this um, say 128 gigs of internal memory and android 9 four gigs of ram so it goes like the clappers it's i've not had a single point where it's even remotely suggested that it's under any form of of strain and the industrial design is i have to be honest absolutely lovely uh it uses a titanium 
frame to which um, glass sections are attached. It is the world's worst fingerprint magnet. Taking photos of it for the review uh, was essentially what the sort of pre- <laughs> the sort of preparations that you normally associate with launching a satellite. <laughs> but I did it. Um, but crucially, it's been sat in my pocket with my keys, and it is it, none of this. Uh, none of the materials show the slightest sign of being in any way marked or affected by it. So whilst it does get smudgy, it does look to be pretty hard to damage, which is impressive what's it like, as well. What's it like in terms of like uh, size and um, battery life? Because the last phone I picked up actually was after you'd recommended that uh, AudioQuest Dragonfly. Yes. So I, I was looking for something which didn't have too large a screen so that it would have, you know, the kind of a uh, better battery life and something that would be would fit in my pocket that I could also plug something into. And so that's, you know, a kind of concern for someone like well, me. Well, there's two interesting things here. The battery, uh, the sc- the size of the phone is 5.7 inches, but it's worth pointing out that it's so much of that front panel is screen. Um, it's got a tiny indent at the bottom, and then the front-facing camera actually cuts into the, the, the display, like the iPhone 10 or X or whatever you want to describe it. Um, so there's an awful lot of screen real estate on the front of it, but battery life has been pretty good. Um, Android 9 includes um, dynamic battery management, and that has genuinely moved things on. Unless you are the sort of person that is you know, affixed to Snapchat – and and whatsapp and all the rest of it for 22 hours a day i can't see you flattening it in conventional usage terms and that's using and the other thing is um one nod to the future because i don't have anything i'm capable that's capable of pairing at this point it has um aptex and aptex hd bluetooth which i've been able to test they work brilliantly it also has bluetooth 5 now i don't have any bluetooth 5 devices yet but that significantly improves the power management for both the phone and the device connected to it there as well so all the signs point to the fact that for battery use and battery life it should be pretty good um, I mean, if we accept the fact that this desire to have slimline chassis with ultra bright screens and every other toy known to man on them, you know, none of these things are going to worry a, a good old Nokia 3310. Um, I don't I think this is competitive within the realms of, of, of its immediate competition. It's a it's a really lovely thing. Ed, um, for me, when it comes to mobile phones, it, you know, we all we're all different. We all use them for, for different things. Um, yeah. What's the camera like? Because for me, the camera is the most important thing when it comes to a mobile device um, because, um, because I need to have a camera in my pocket at all times. I have stuck a test image on into the review, which you can view at its original size. In standard light conditions, all the way down to heavy overcast and evening, this is a very, very good camera indeed. It also has a bolt-on for a panoramic camera, which is available as an aftermarket extra. Like any other mobile phone, the moment that you're under artificial light, I just don't. I haven't found a mobile phone that I rate, and that includes the latest and greatest iterations of the iPhone. I mean, I'm saying this as a camera, you know, as a a bit of a snob. I mean, you know, obviously I have an SLR, and I, you know, due to the unique nature of things I take photos of, I have spent time, money, and effort getting it to perform without flash in low light. So I'm always judging it against equipment which is 
dedicated to the task. I, I regard it as entirely competitive, but I still just look at photos it takes under low light conditions and just don't mm. get that excited about it. Okay. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to ask the the obvious question here. Uh, it's something that we've discussed in the past, and that is, do you actually need um, really high audio quality when you're on the move? Because normally you've got the everyday world going on around about you and so on, and noises and all that kind of thing. Um, whether you're walking through a city centre or you're using it in the car or whatever. So does you know? I know it, it performs well, but do you actually need it? This is an interesting one. I would argue with streaming services, there's two two cheeks of the same arse, for want of a, <laughs> a slight... Um, with Tidal and CoBuzz and the others, if, and Deezer as well, although Deezer's a little bit different because it hasn't currently got its lossless bit running via the mobile apps. With CoBuzz and Tidal, you can work on the principle, you can have a selection of high-res material that you like downloaded to the phone and it's good to go at any given time and if you are sat in a quiet environment you'll get the benefit if you're just um trying to make it make noise over a five liter v8 you can run the compressed options um i would say that even down to the 320k compressed options the uh the quality of your bluetooth implementation and things like that really still does make a uh a significant difference and i'm not gonna lie um i played about with uh an iphone 8 the other day and i'm sorry the apple's bluetooth implementation is is painfully behind <laughs> where it yeah, should I agree be. with that yeah um you get no argument from me from, from that uh, one. uh don't get me wrong it's stable and reliable but sonically android uh, if you are interested in wireless communication and and it's it's telling that I just some of the some of the quality and, and and performance that I've had out of both the essential and then my stock Xperia XA1, which is not an expensive phone. Just uh, I mean the performance into things like the Cyrus One uh, HD integrated amp, which we've got, which is in the review tank, ready to be to be unleashed later on this month. As I said at the time in the in that review. It's not a convenience thing anymore. That's a genuine hi-fi source. And the fact that it still does that, does all the convenience things for your cars, your, your noise-canceling headphones. But if you want to, you can sit down and it's a proper transmission system where essentially it, when you say, do you need high-res, I agree with you. For wandering, wandering out to the shops, no. But the fact that you could sit down with something like the Cyrus and use this phone as a communication point and use bluetooth to stream up to and including lower sets of high res resolutions i mean aptex hd is good till 2448 without compression now um that's that's a significant thing that's changing how we use equipment and it it is to our benefit okay sounds great and uh like i said i'm interested in the feedback on the review well i was just going to say the review will be up soon it won't be this week as as a podcast because it'll probably be bank holiday week but yes Give us feedback. Let us know what you think. Is this an important area for you when you're considering uh, your mobile phones? But do you want a more audio-specific for certain models and so on? And is that something that interests you on the back of Edge Review? Let us know, because it's it's certainly something that we could consider adding in there um, as, as a review every month or every other month um, and just have a look at, at what audio is actually like from mobile devices and can they actually be high-end 
uh, sources for your system. It's an interesting one. So in short, in short, we're going to force you to do mobile phones, Ed. I, do you know what? I enjoyed it much, much more than I thought I would. Actually pulling through... Um, you know, some other stuff beyond audio and, and, and seeing how it did stuff was, was you know, um, we were discussing before we went live that the, the single thing that you want to avoid from a reviewing perspective is doing the same, the same class of product yeah. over and over again. I mean, Phil was saying there's a bit of television yeah. burnout. <laughs> um, and yeah, you just want to keep it spread out across different things. And I, I think I the term an interesting change. Yeah, the term mobile phone has kind of become almost synonymous yeah, it, with this a throwaway device but if you just think of it as a, a universal control device i mean we just go yeah. back to the sonos soundbar and that kind of thing you've got your app you think of the amount of you know connected devices you know you review on the audio file side that you control via your phone if you think of it more as just a conduit device yes you know it, it you know it becomes far more acceptable it's, it's interesting it, it's, just, it, it's your tricorder if i want to get <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah 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 exactly I mean, it's interesting what you said about camera because, you know, if, if I'm going to go and do a, a job, a professional job or whatever, I, I take the professional gear. Every other day of the week, my mobile phone camera is of such a quality that I, I can leave the SLR uh, at home. So if I'm going to car club or whatever or all this, I take my photos on, on, on the camera phone because the camera is absolutely brilliant for doing that. And it's... It's so quick and easy, whereas, yes, I could get nicer, shallow depth of field and stuff with an SLR, but actually it doesn't really need it. Um, so from a convenience point of view and the fact that you can plug it into the car and you get Apple or CarPlay and all the rest of it, the the mobile phone, um, I can't remember the last time I took a call on one. Yeah, I, I, well, I have to say it's, it's a mobile computing device. That's it's interesting. I still, use, I still make and receive calls a fair bit. I mean, I've given up trying to call either of you sods because <laughs> I, I just envisage that it rings and you just stare at it with a sort of you know glazed look and then just go back to whatever you were doing and partly because it's me calling but partly because it would appear you simply don't make or receive calls um i am afraid i'm a cynic here if i want answers out of people i don't also i don't wait for them to call me i'd like to catch people and be an arse. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but you're chasing money, Ed. It's a different thing, isn't it? <laughs> there is that. But it's more, if I need answers to something, I, I, oft, I genuinely... Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I agree with you. You pick up the phone and you speak to people, absolutely. And, and, and also it was, get, them, get them off balance, you generally get yeah, better yeah, answers. You get better answers, yeah, <laughs> ab- absolutely. And, and like I say, I mean, I can't remember the last time I, I, I made a call. It was more, I was making a point, though. No, that, no, you're right. I mean, if you, if you think back to, you know, the, the usage patterns, 1999-2000, you know, calls texts and snake and yeah. things have you know th- things have changed significantly since then i mean uh, the, you know the, the amount of time uh i mean my car i think like your well, like like yours phil and i believe like yours too has got built-in sat nav but i don't it, it makes some bizarre decisions the number yeah. of times i actually just default to the google sat nav in in the phone or ipad it's because yeah. it seems to actually have an understanding of how the planet is laid out yeah rather for, than looking at straight lines ford sync is terrible the sync 3 is absolutely terrible i i use maps or um actually on the sync 3 now you can use ways and you can use it on your screen and in the phone the latest update allows you to do that so i just do that i use ways or i use um apple maps for navigation is it like sat nav done by like sat nav done by the flat earth society or something uh, the Ford one, it, it it's as you know, computers are different engines. So it just looks at it and goes, well, that 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 way is eight hundred and sixty feet shorter than 
what is actually the optimal route, ignoring that that 860 feet includes going through a Ford, not the actual car, the river, or up a one in two gradient or something like that, where there is no time saved. It just doesn't seem to be able to recognize where it, the, even when you ask it to do fastest, not shortest route, it still defaults to trying to take you down roads with grass in the middle of them because it <laughs> yeah. believes that there's a saving to be made because the road is listed as a national speed limit road. But unless you are Yuha Kankanen, you're never going to do 70 miles an hour on it. <laughs> um, so Ford, if anyone is listening for Ford SatNav, go and, go and pay Google whatever it costs and use that system and just acknowledge that yeah. you can't do it. Yeah, like, like I say, I mean, every firms, it's all about getting getting companies to improve their products. That's that's why we do what we do. So get on it, Ford. Yeah. Like publicly shaming them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, that said, at the very um, least, unlike unlike the German ones, at least it doesn't shout at you. All right. So um, yeah, we could even add sat navs in. If, leave your comments in the in the section below if you think we should go and drive places and just review sat navs. Uh, that's it for hardware. We've done enough this week. We'll uh, we'll do movie reviews next. Okay, so uh, movie reviews, first one for a while actually, that, that myself and Steve have managed to get out to this cinema. Um, we would have done this last week if the film had been released midweek, which seems to be the main thing these days. Most most films mm, seem to go midweek, but no, this went on a Friday, so it's a week late. Um, our review's been on the homepage a, a, a whole week. Um, but it's obviously, it's a film which has got people talking because uh, at the time of recording the podcast on the Friday, there's 101 comments on the review. Uh, and it's had well over, well, thousands of views. Um, so, how do you explain this one? The Meg, um, Jason Statham, shark punching, um, although he doesn't, he doesn't punch, actually punch a shark. He doesn't actually punch a shark. Yeah. Um, they, they, they jump the shark a few times. Um, well, the shark jumps them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more to the point, the shark jumps them. Um, yes, this is definitely what it says on the tin. You know, this is Jason Statham, this is bad acting, this is Chinese funded. Um, it's a big CGI shark. Um, it takes place in uh, a near future because some of the technology is baffling. Yeah, it is. Um, the plot, plot holes are, are are massive, gigantic, bigger than the shark, the plot holes. Um, some of the acting is atrocious. Some of the characters are absolutely terrible. Um, and I came out with a big smile on my face because it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. It was rubbish. It was there was no plot there. It didn't make any sense. The science didn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, but they didn't play it up. They didn't. They didn't play it to be serious. Um, I've I've read some comments that said maybe they should because it would have been, it might have been a, a better film if they had played it a bit more serious. But for me, that um, a worse film if they did that. Maybe <laughs> it'd be like I'd, skyscraper, which played it straight, and yeah. therefore I didn't enjoy as much. Yeah. So for me, and and again, I think it depends on what kind of mood you go in and what expectations you're setting on this. I watched the trailers, I knew this was going to be a big crock of shit but it was going to be enjoyable fun and that's what I got from it. Um, I, I There was some laugh out loud moments, there are uh, obviously cliches in there that are played out but they're played out in a very knowing, knowing Oh the Jaws stuff is absolutely brilliant, there's oh, five, six maybe even more references yeah, to really Jaws in it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really really quite quite amusing. So 
I went in expecting fun, uh, not expecting great acting, not expecting much because it, it you know, it's, it's it's obviously heavily Chinese financed. This film, um, it takes place in that that area. Um, lots of characters in there. Chinese language is used quite a bit in there. There's lots of subtitles now and again, but I didn't care. You know, they they funded this big fun movie, and that's what you get. It's a big fun movie. It's not taking anything too seriously. Um, it doesn't take up too much of your time either. It gets a little bit slow in the middle, um, where they could have kept it going a little bit. Um, and the the characters are one dimensional. Um, and the state actually um, could have been better. Um, it, he was all right, but I was expecting him to play a bit more tongue in cheek, a bit more over the top and he was actually a bit more laid back than I thought he was going to be but yeah one dimensional characters um, a two dimensional shark and um, yeah I came out of the cinema thinking yeah that's exactly what I thought it was going to be like and it was fairly entertaining you Steve? Yeah no um, I didn't go into expecting it to be Lawrence of Arabia uh, I, I expected it to be exactly what it was it was probably the most fun I've had at the cinema in a long time uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, it's it's utterly ridiculous, um, but it knows that. And as long as the film knows that and doesn't take itself seriously, you can forgive an awful lot, and you have to forgive an awful lot in this. But I I didn't think the acting was necessarily bad. There's only so much you can do with some of the dialogue these actors were given to play with. And I thought the chemistry between Stath and the Chinese chick was actually pretty good. And the little girl was really cute and fun. And and I I thought it absolutely delivered in terms of action, comedy ludicrousness and um and and it stayed relatively true to its 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 sort of uh, concept yes it, there are plot holes i mean w- would you fund something for billions of dollars and not seem to know what they were doing with your money <laughs> that seemed a bit strange i couldn't really work out what possible you've not, you've economic... not worked for the mod have you well yeah what possible <laughs> economic gain could be made from their discovery i thought why why what were they going to do with this <laughs> um and the one big thing that annoyed me was um, there's a bit towards the beginning with um, Submersible, which is going down to a very great depth, down to the Mariana Trench, which is you know 10,000 meters, something like that. And initially I thought, like, it's got windows. That's, not, that's ridiculous. It will just crush. Then I realized, actually, they weren't windows. They were actually screens with inside the sub, so it was an enclosed sub, and there were screens showing them the view outside. I thought, oh, that's quite clever. And then about 10 minutes later, someone goes down to that depth in what is clearly a mini sub that would have been crushed to a tiny dot at that depth. Um, so there's loads of if you're a diver or if you've ever dived at any kind of depth if you know anything about diving it, um, you'll know how accurate the yeah, abyss yeah, is yeah, but, but, how inaccurate yeah. this is but then again like you say Phil you've got to just suspend disbelief because it does involve a you know a shark that's been extinct <laughs> for three million years um, yeah, yeah but yeah I, I just I love the Jaws references I, I thought it was really good fun there were moments when I laughed out loud and I was laughing out loud at how utterly ridiculous it was but yeah. it was ridiculous in a way that was making me happy and that was the point. I mean, the state, you know, he just dies into the water straight after a bloody great shark. Doesn't give a monkeys. Uh, the effects are pretty good. I thought the effects were pretty good. Um, it's a little bit murky in places. I wouldn't like to see in 3D. I think a lot of it would be un- unwatchable. Um, but, yeah, uh, it, it delivered everything I wanted it to do. Um, for me, it's a solid 8 out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, as long as you go in expecting, you know, silliness then you're going to be it fine. delivers. Yeah. yeah, absolutely delivers. Yeah, I, I couldn't argue. And I've read some of the, the comments. Too. I'd like to see, uh, I'd probably get a disc because I think it'll look and sound pretty cool. Yeah, the, the soundtrack was pretty Oh, the water stuff phenomenal. always sounds great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw it in a D-Box theatre yesterday oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was pretty phenomenal. I didn't pay the extra for the D-Box chair, but it's, a, it's one of the bigger screens in, in the venue, which is why I chose that one. And uh, yeah, it didn't disappoint whatsoever. It was loud, obnoxious, the way you expect it to be. 
um, as well as the film. So yeah, I think I would score it a very solid seven and a half out of ten, maybe even an eight. Mm. Well, there you go, Sharktastic. I haven't seen it. I'm, you'd be astonished that I, I I haven't been to cinema. I mean, who saw that coming? Yeah, and, and actually, this is cleaning it in. I've just read the other day, Steve, that it's, it's made a shed load of money. Absolutely shed load of money. It'll do well in China, I suspect, which is always yeah. good news. Yeah, you know, it's good. it'll make money. It's going to do well. Um, oh, as long as it keeps Jason Statham in, 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 the, in the limelight. This, yeah, uh, right. The thing is also, I, I suspect... It's always hard to tell with 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 male actors, but I just sense that he should be able to 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 work graciously into hamming it up as an increasingly old bloke. I'll, rather I'll tell than you being... what, I thought Jason Statham was younger than me, and I looked up his uh, on IMDb. He was he's, he's younger than me by a month, and I thought, my God, he's ripped. It's <laughs> the scene where he's got his shirt off, and you're thinking, bloody hell. If, you know, how do you maintain that kind of physique at 51? It's quite impressive. Yeah, well, you know, it's. Uh... Uh, the guy, I know he was a you know, professional. He dived at the Commonwealth Games, didn't he, for, the, for he England? Um, and he was, he was, and obviously that early work is continued through into our later life. But yeah, his physique is absolutely amazing. Um, and for, uh, at that age, I was just gobsmacked that he could deliver that kind of. Um, shape at his age but uh, you know i mean like i like to say to me, look he's going to be he's got next year he's got the rock t- um team up in the fast and furious spin-off um i saw an interesting theory about that which is uh by mark bernard and he does um a fat man on batman with them um, kevin smith but he was saying he thinks because because of the last uh fast and furious movie uh there's massive falling out between um vin diesel and the rock the rocks you know has has what's called the work ethic he, he he didn't like the way that vin diesel was just fanning around not doing anything and they had a massive falling out and they are not even in the same scene together at any point in that film any time where you think they're in the same scene together they're using body doubles they wouldn't even be on the same set at the same time uh so now the rock's doing a spin-off film with jason statham and the theory that mark bernard had was they're going to gradually move everyone across to the spin-off films <laughs> and just leave vin diesel his own and then stop making fast and furious movies to get rid maybe of maybe they could turn paul walker into a forced ghost <laughs> yeah and uh, there you go yeah. it would be like randall and hopkirk deceased but well, I, i'm really looking forward to uh, to jason statham and the rock in their own movie next year that's gonna be great okay so that's a meg uh thumbs up from from me and steve i know it should make a fantastic disc as well so films opening this week steve anything oh i've seen a, a trailer for the first one no, yeah yeah it's rubbish. yeah uh no, not much coming out this is the, we're, we're entering a, 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 a sort of a, a bleak few weeks as a centimeters until the predator comes out i think on the 12th of september uh so this week we've got the spy who dumped me uh, comedy with Mila Kunis, um, where she basically is going out with a spy. He dumps her. She doesn't know he's a spy. Uh, he dumps her, and then she discovers he's a spy and gets involved with all the shenanigans. Um, I think uh, Kate McKinnon's in it as well, who was in Ghostbusters. Uh, Marks looks for the use very... of the shenanigans. Hmm? Marks for the use of the word shenanigans yeah. there. <laughs> uh, it looks fairly generic in the trailers. Uh, and I was going to uh, say Mila Kunis seems to have somehow segued into Jennifer Aniston's career of like. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of middle of the road comedy hell. And yeah, and yeah, I saw the top ten money, uh, the top ten actresses who earned the most money last year, and somehow Jennifer Aniston was fifth. What was she in last year? What did she do? Is that from? That must be from other contracts, like you know, advertising contracts, and it can't be from films because um, I haven't seen her in anything for a long time. Not anything good. Uh, anyway, Spy Dump Me. I think you know what you're going to get from the title. Uh, also, Slender Man, which is a horror film based on this whole Slender Man um, internet thing. 
which looks pretty rubbish. And uh, a new sp- film from Spike Lee, uh, Black Klansman, which is a true story about a black cop who infiltrated the Klan, if you can believe that. Um, so that, that looks that does actually look quite interesting. If any, yeah, uh, I, I just want to know how he does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was like, yeah, oh, really? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Black Klansman, uh, that, that's out this week as well. Okay, uh, so let's move over to discs, uh, Steve. So 4K and Blu-ray, what have we got coming up? Uh, in terms of disc releases, we've got Rampage, uh, The Rock's Back with a Giant Ape and uh, a couple of giant monsters, which I quite enjoyed at the cinema. I don't think I'd pick it up on anything. I enjoyed it enough to pick it up on disc, but uh, uh, it was you, dumb. You what? It's yeah. got The Rock in it. I, know, I don't know anything, everything that Rock's been in. Um, there, there was yeah, a time, Steve, where you bought, you bought some real shit on 4K, yet you're not going to pick this up. Well, there's a lot coming out on 4K disc this, at the moment, and I need to be picky. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> somebody, uh, the, somebody the other day said uh, we need to do a FaceTime um, when I'm in Fry's because you're not going to see yes this year. So somebody <laughs> was saying we need to do a FaceTime so you can get Steve's order. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up this edition. I think that's how we know that the formats hit kind of critical mass is that Steve stopped buying everything. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. There's too much release. Anyway, Rampage just out on Blu-ray and 4K disc. Out on Blu-ray and 4K disc from a brand new restoration is The Deer Hunter, which I am getting. Um, Michael Cimino's Oscar winner from 1978. I think have, have everybody here seen that? I yeah. have. Yeah. Even I've yeah. seen yeah. that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't think it's a very realistic portrayal of the Vietnam War, but it's a fun. It's not. I don't think it's a fun movie, but it's certainly a, a, um, a well-made film, albeit a bit silly towards the end. Um, but yes, it's uh, about a group of steel workers who, who end up going to the Vietnam War and then the effects afterwards as well uh, with Robert De Niro and um, Michael Christopher Walken and um, is it John Savage I think it is uh, yeah it's 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 and Mel Street so it's got an amazing cast uh, and yes it won the Academy Award for Best Film and Best Director for Michael Cimino I think it was 78 I think it was the first big yeah it was probably the first big movie to address the Vietnam War after the war had ended because um, the following year 79 was Apocalypse Now I know it was made before but it took so long to in post-production and come out until afterwards but anyway that's been fully restored uh, um, so I'm looking forward to that on 4K disc and also we've got Black Book which is getting an, a second Blu-ray release uh, and that's Paul Verhoeven's not last film because he did one since then called L but uh, it was a film he made a few years ago set in occupied Nazi-occupied um, Holland um, it's sort of an espionage thriller which I thought was very good that's coming out. And also Police Story 1 and 2, which have had a, a restoration um, for Blu-ray release. Um, and that was actually a composition prize up until the day of this podcast going up. But I think Mark said last week he was, might pick that up or at least enter the competition. Yeah, yes. And uh, Kazi's reviews are on the homepage. Yes. And that's so it. This, that. this, this, this week. Okay, good stuff. Uh, right, so just wrapping up, there's there's a few bits and pieces that we need to go over. Uh, Star Trek Discovery, um, they have cast. It's Spock. I didn't know Spock was, was going to be it. Is this a spoiler, Steve? Um, no, I don't think it's a spoiler because, well, the trailers, obviously, they, they, they interact with the, the Enterprise. And we know at this point in the timeline, Spock was a crew member. So you, you kind of had to expect. And plus also, you know, they've, we've seen his dad and his mum and his his foster sister is the lead <laughs> so I'd be gobsmacked if Spock didn't show up at some point um, yeah so they've cast uh, Ethan Peck who I must admit is actually I'm not familiar with but um, obviously Zachary Quinto played him in the recent films and, and of course Lynn Nimoy played him previous to that uh, but uh, yes we're going to have we're going to have Spock we're going to have the Enterprise and Spock and Captain Pike among other things in in the new season of, of Star Trek Discovery. do you know what this this 
smacks of Steve. This smacks of Des- the desperation. fact that <laughs> desperation because Discovery did so well without any, without any of these hardbacks. It was a, it was a really good non Star Trek series, and that's yeah, the well, problem. Yeah, they got a lot of criticism from Star got, Trek fans yeah. that it wasn't Star Trekky enough. Yeah, um, so, so so this is why I liked the, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so now they're going full Star Trek. I think they're bringing in the Enterprise, they're bringing in Captain Pike, they're bringing in Spock. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see. How, and they've also changed showrunners and stuff. There's been a lot of, a lot of behind the scenes shenanigans going. Again, I've used that word twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, going on behind the scenes it, uh, on Discovery. Um, now they've announced the new show they're doing with uh, Picard. Presumably uh, that will involve. I hope that will involve other members of the new Next Generation crew because I mean they're all still alive. So uh, yes, I don't know. I just feel a bit like Lucasfilm. Those running people running running Star Trek don't really know what they're doing anymore. I just seem to be chucking things at the wall and seeing what, what, what sticks. You see, um, I mean, I would have loved them to have gone, done something post DS9 where, you know, if you like going, going a bit post, you know, deer hunter post Vietnam, <laughs> people, people, a crew of people who have had to, you know, reacclimatizing from having to do terrible actual war things and, and, and the pull back down from that. I honestly yeah. think that could have yeah, been yeah, that would be exceptionally well. Yeah. Um, they chose not to. Well, you so, see, the, the, the whole thing for Discovery for me was, you know, um, one one of the story angles was showing how desperate war makes each side. And I found that really interesting because the Federation has always been this, you know, goody two lovely, lovely organisation. And we were getting to see a darker side of that. Um, and I thought there was plenty of scope for them to take that even further. Um and it just seems to be this criticism that came from certain factors and factions of the fandom has kind of forced their hand a little bit, um, which is a shame because I think it's just going to turn into generic Star Trek again. Um, well, it's and, and the Orville's doing, doing the Orville. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it, anyway, does, yes, it, does, so. it does say something, though, when you prefer the Orville to, <laughs> to what might be... great. I know, I know. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, yes, I mean, I think that's probably what slightly stung them was that the, the, the discovery came out and was, I think, generally well received by non-Star Trek fans and criticised by hardcore Star Trek fans. And at the same time, out comes the Orville, which is basically Star Trek and was doing it better. If you're talking about Star Trek in the traditional sense of the word, it was doing it better than Discovery, even though I, I thoroughly enjoyed Discovery um, and the Orville for, for separate reasons. Uh, I think they got stung by that a little bit, and, and now they're trying to sort of reclaim the Star Trek territory that all, the Orville's basically taken off them. Um, and I, I think I'd have preferred, like you say, Phil, if they just continued with the, the different approach they were taking with Discovery. Because we, we've got, you know, there have been five or six other Star Trek shows doing Star Trek stuff. Do we need more of that? Uh, I'd, I'm quite happy to watch something that takes a different approach to it. But anyway, uh, I guess we'll find out when in, in the new year um, what happens with Discovery. Yeah, um, I I just like with the analogy of kind of Lucas, I just think that it, it feels like they can't get away from the big kind of like monoliths of the Star Trek universe, and it all they always kind of get dragged back to them. You know, I, I think it was time to try something genuinely new. Uh, at this point, haven't we seen just about everything we're going to see regarding Spock, or is it just now a case of? You have a core group of characters and we just want to see them in a variety of new scenarios. And so people just want traditional Star Trek back. Spot goes to the laundry. Spot goes to Yeah, exactly. And I think the the funny thing is that all of these big franchises are all almost in the shadow right now of 
the Marvel universe, which is it, it's kind of this juxtaposition when you see this, you know, kind of huge organization doing it well and kind of joining everything together and clearly having some kind of a plan where you think that there's going to be something interesting, you know, over the next two years, over the next five years, they've got a plan of where it's going. It seems like everyone else is just kind of scrabbling to try and keep up DC, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, star Wars or star Trek, everyone else is trying to find a way to kind of build some kind of momentum and and kind of almost fall into the slipstream of that kind of sci-fi fandom. I was reading uh, this week as well that, that the start the new Star Trek movies um, are probably finished because they yeah, can't get the yeah. cast on board because the demands for wages and all the rest of it um, seem to be more than what the producers are, are prepared to to pay. So it yeah, because like they, they wanted to do uh, the next Star Trek film was going to involve uh, Kirk and Kirk's dad, who in the original film and in the first Star Trek movie was played by Chris Hemsworth. So obviously, has become a much bigger star since that film was made. But I thought, oh, that was interesting, you know, Kirk and his dad and two big-name actors playing the roles. But yeah, they, they, they didn't make a lot of money on Star Trek Beyond, uh, or even made a lot of oh, money. And, I was uh, going to say, it looks like diminishing returns at this point. Yeah, at exactly. some point, they were going to give in, do something big, spend big on all the actors, and it was going to tank, I think, at some point. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think the, the cost involved of getting, like, particularly Chris Hemsworth, you can you know command pretty big numbers these days. Getting him on board, uh, I don't think the rewards were there. Um, at that budget level, so it's a shame, but you know it is because I thought Star Trek Beyond was really good. I really enjoyed Star Trek Beyond. I thought it was actually they actually uh, Simon Pegg understood what made Star Trek fun, and actually, uh, unlike the first two Abrams movies, which I felt were more like Star Wars films than, than Star Trek films, um, Star Trek Beyond felt like a Star Trek movie, and it was very enjoyable, very entertaining, had well-written characters, and. Um, uh, and a, a villain who you could at least empathise with to a degree. So I, I enjoyed it a lot, and it's a real shame that they aren't doing it anymore because I thought they were getting on the right track at that point. But uh, maybe I, mean, I guess they're also spending a lot of money on these TV shows too. So I guess there's a finite amount of cash available. But I, th- I think Mark's right. I think every studio, any studio with any kind of franchise, is desperately trying to milk it uh, because they're seeing how much money Marvel's making. And unfortunately, you, you can't necessarily replicate. Even DC can't replicate what Marvel are doing. And, you might, and DC have a back catalogue of hundreds of characters and decades and decades of comic book storylines to, to, to mine into, but they seem to be unable to do it. I think, you know, what's happening at Marvel is, isn't, isn't just the fact that they've got a franchise to build on, they, they've got characters to use, or they've got decades of storylines. I think that Kevin Feige, and I've got to, I think it's definitely him, has managed it and planned it exceptionally well in terms of having the courage to do what they did, which I think took a lot of balls at the time. You know, there was no guarantee that Avengers was going to work. Because um, they were using their B-list characters. I mean, they, they couldn't use Spider-Man, they couldn't use the X-Men, they couldn't use the Fantastic Four, which are the big Marvel titles. Um, they took a big risk and it paid off. But they've managed that franchise extremely well. And a lot of the other, unfortunately, other, other even DC, who have a similar back catalogue to deal with, um, haven't managed it as well and clearly don't have a clue what they're doing half the time. Um, so, yeah, it's not as easy to replicate as it might seem, even if you have you know, the characters to play with in the first place. Yep. Okay, well, uh, that's it. We've, we've done a lot more damage again this week, um, but that's all the time we have for the podcast. So my thanks to Steve Withers. Any man who drinks Don Perrin on 52 can't be all bad. 
Ed Selly. What a helpful chat. And Mark Buttright. You shot your bolt, Stromberg. Don't forget, there is no podcast next week, so don't go looking for the podcast, but we will be following up on the 3rd of September with our IFA special. It will be available to download from Monday evening. So that's the 3rd of September, Monday evening, for our IFA special podcast. But that's it. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV Forums for latest reviews, news and videos. And of course, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, but only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks' time with all the news from IFA. (laughs) 